Hi, and welcome to Paperback Readers. I'm Joe, that's Julie, and time to uh, catch up on what we've been reading and what it all means anyway. It's past time anyway. <laughs> we are late again. Unfortunately so. Kind of uh, sneaking in late on you, but uh, you've read a lot of things, I know. I really haven't, but I've still I've got some mammoth books that I'm in the middle of reading, if that counts for anything. Yeah, some of mine are rereads, but I really, I liked a lot of the things I read over these past almost three weeks. <laughs> um, the first one for me, and maybe the best one, was All the Beauty in the World, the Metropolitan Museum of Art and Me by Patrick Bringley. And I picked this up after um, a recommendation from somebody on Instagram. And I just got it from the library because I wasn't really sure that it would even be good. And it was wonderful. So this book was about a man who, after the death of his brother, um, quit his job. Uh, he was working for, I think, The New Yorker. Um, just this kind of high-powered, very you know, future-minded, up-and-coming, very rising career in New York City, very busy, very fast-paced all the time. And instead, what he did was he took a job as a security guard at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So he became one of those people who stands in the suit near the walls and um, makes sure you don't damage anything or answers your questions or whatever. Um, I had never given a lot of thought to that position, first of all. Oh, it kind of horrifies me because you're, you're almost wallpapered 99.7% of the time, but the other 0.3, you deal with some really weird stuff. Well, he didn't really focus on anything truly no, weird. Sure. But he managed to paint this job as something that was ultimately a true gift. Uh, he talked about all of the art that he got to really, really see and deeply appreciate over the 10 years that he worked there. Oh, no doubt. The way that he enjoyed watching people interact with the art, how you could recognize people who were brand new and, you know, maybe some of the regulars, uh, how he even grew to like the routine of the way they rotate through um, the weird hours that you work sometimes. I mean, he just painted the job itself. First of all, he's a gifted writer. It was a beautifully written book. Mm -hmm. But he, he made the job itself sound so dreamy. I was like, man, I would, maybe I want to do that. <laughs> well, here, here in their tiny town of like 2,000, there aren't too many museums. But yeah, I, I know what you mean. And then also it was a New York book, which again, I love that. So there's a lot of the art that he talked about itself and the way that he experienced it was very interesting to me. I really like art museums anyway, and I have never been to the Met, so this one just jumped to the top of my list. Next time I go to New York City, I really want to go there. Yeah, we've gone to, to MoMA, mm -hmm. but, and uh, yeah, I've been the there a couple Art of Institute times. in Chicago, which is just very cool. But uh, So anyway, that was really cool. And then the other part of the book was just about how he recovered, how he recovered a life, and part of that is through the meditative aspect of this job. Just really fabulous book all the way through, um, and I'm so, so, so glad that I read it. Yeah. All right, then the next one was called Dress Codes for Small Towns by Court Stevens. So she is a local author. Right. Um, and she writes a lot of young adult literature, which is really fun. I was totally captured by the title of this one. I just think that's a near-perfect <laughs> title. Um, and it, it's kind of autobiographical, um, in that she talks about the claustrophobia of growing up in a small town, especially when you're someone who doesn't fit all of the traditional modes. Um, she talks about trying to figure out 
exactly who you are and who you want to be, trying on different personalities and different um, aspects of being for size. I thought the best thing about this book was how well she captured the um, the questions and the kind of, I don't know, fears and freedom at the same time of being a teenager where the whole world is open to you and yet there are so many limitations on you still too. And just that feeling of being free to do anything you want to do, but at the same time kind of shackled by, you're not even really totally sure what. You just, you want to please people. You want to do the right thing and it can be, it can feel very confining. Yeah, I've always been kind of fascinated by this because of course I grew up out in the country and my dad grew up in a town, but it was a very tiny town. And you know, the, the, that narrative would resonate very much for him. Whereas for me, I was like, holy cow, like people in a place you could ride your bike. This sounds awesome. But it's like, yeah, not, not always, not, not everything, but. Uh, she also lo- looked a lot at what it means to be part of a family and how you fit different ways into different families. And a lot of this book really just shot all the way through Mm-hmm. was the idea of what love does for you in the middle of all of your questions. So it was really, really a beautiful look at being a young person trying to figure out who you are. Mm-hmm. Then I reread Start With Hello by Shannon Martin, who's a brilliant author, and this is her book specifically about how to be a good neighbor in whatever place you are. So she's got a series of chapters in this book that are titled things like... Um, uh, empathy is greater than what like she'll have two things that she's comparing <laughs> I don't remember I don't have the book in front of me but she'll have these two it. things that she's comparing and then she talks about how you be a neighbor in these kinds of situations how you kind of let go of your own defenses your own maybe personal preferences sometimes in order to be able to prioritize the needs of those around you yeah. it's a really good book um, then I reread Beach Read by Emily Henry, which I'm not going to go into again because I think I've probably read this book about eight times since uh, we started this podcast. But the thing about this book for me right now is, despite the fact that I just read several brilliant books that I've mentioned here, I probably also quit like five others that just were not doing it for me in this same time period. Lots of things I didn't like about them. Lots of ways that they just kind of dragged me down. I notice a lot that when I'm reading especially novels, whatever's going on with those characters, I just, it, it wraps itself around my moods sometimes too, just in uh, interesting ways. And so I thought I really needed a comfort read, just something that was familiar that always makes me happy, kind of to reset my reading life. And that's what I used Beach Read for this time, and it worked very well. No, I mean, there's always value in that uh, recenter, I suppose. Yep. And then the last thing I read over these two weeks was called We Came, We Saw, We Left by Charles Whelan. That's also a great title. It really is. I've seen it at Barnes & Noble for months. It's one of their picks, and um, it's a travel book. It's a travel memoir, and I love those. Oh, my gosh, how I love those. You all know how much we love Bill Bryson. And this had a lot of uh, similarities to what he writes. It was very funny. This was the story of a family, two parents, three kids, who uh, rented out their home and traveled the world for nine months. They mostly hit, um, and I don't know what, they went started in South America. They covered most of that continent. Mm-hmm. Then they went to like 
India and um, Burma and um, Vietnam and places over there in Asia. Um, they went to some spots in Africa. They ended up in Europe, but they mostly avoided Europe because of how expensive it was. And since they're a family of five who was traveling the world, they had a budget for every single day. And so they tried to stay in places where they could stay within their budget and yet still experience local things that were really cool. Um, stay in places with decent Wi-Fi because one of, their, <laughs> one of their daughters had just graduated high school and was taking a gap year before college. But the other two kids were still in school, still being actively homeschooled here. And they needed to have access to Wi-Fi to keep up with their classes so that they could return with their same yeah. classes when they got back. So there were a lot of aspects to this. I really thought the planning of a trip like this was very interesting, but mostly just watching how they interacted with the world and each other um, in such tight quarters was really, really fun to follow. And also just their descriptions of all of these places that I've never been and will probably never go because, I mean, a lot of these places I'm not exceptionally interested in visiting, but I really liked reading about them. Yeah, I mean, it sounds fun. The logistics of doing something like that for longer than a brief vacation has always been interesting to me. So, Listen, when he started out talking about how they budgeted this and set everything up, I was giving some serious thought to how we could do something like this. And then I really realized they weren't going to, like, all the places I want to go, which is Europe. So <laughs> I didn't, then that kind of killed my joy. But they were still, it was still a really fun book. Why to are read. the expensive places the places that people want to go? Oh, wait, it could be circular. <laughs> I mean, you know, one of his daughters did get a flesh-eating parasite and have to fly to Germany so that she could undergo it. Really, really uh, toxic, like 28-day medical regime so that it didn't eat her face off. Yeah. So that there, sounds a bit serious. There, yeah, are, there are some issues, and you some don't tend yeah. to run into those in the more developed world. But no. the places that they, they went through, the Amazon, they took a safari in Africa. There's so many cool things that they got to do. Okay, you're up. Well, I have trouble competing with that. I have continued my quest through Michael Burlingame's 12 volume. Yes, I said 12 of the life of Abraham Lincoln. I'm pleased to report that I am now on volume 7 of 12, so we are in 1860. Uh, and uh, suffice it to say that the thorough nature of this biography continues. I mean, as you can imagine, considering that volumes 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12 will cover four years, uh, this guy's pretty exhaustive in his treatment of Lincoln and his time. And his uh, his place, it's a, it's a good read. It's been very thorough, but, but very interesting, and I've picked up a lot of context that maybe I didn't have. Um, this is just an add-on to my continuing presidential journey, which is currently bogged down in, I think his name is Scott Berg. Berg is his last name, his lengthy Woodrow Wilson biography, which I am also reading. Uh, and I continued my baseball reading list. Uh, Esquire magazine did a thing on the 100 best baseball books, so I'm going through and reading the ones that I have not previously read, which led me to a novel called Man on Spikes by Elliot Asinov. And uh, this was a really interesting novel written, I want to say like late 50s, early 60s, 1955. Okay. Um, because Asinov does a thing where he writes it from different points of view, and you have the scout, and the manager, and the prospect's dad, and 
his sister and his mother. And, you know, you, you really, by the time you get to the end of the book, you know this guy. And uh, I suppose I'm dropping a spoiler here, but there's one climatic baseball scene. And ultimately, the journey of this guy is such that he fails and it doesn't really matter. It was kind of all in the journey and in the few relationships that sustain him along the way. And so a pretty profound novel and, you know, different than anything I would have read. Thank you, Esquire, because I had never heard of this, um, which is kind of the joy with something like this. I've gone through and, and there have been several books I didn't know and there will be many more. I mean, again, it's a list of 100 and I'd read probably half of them, but uh, there are some I haven't. And sadly, I cannot find... Uh, Josh Wilker's book on the Bad News Bears in Breaking Training, which was like Bad News Bears 2, which means it probably was an absolutely awful movie. But Josh is one of my favorite writers. Josh wrote a book called Cardboard Gods, which oh, is kind of a coming-of-age story so through the lens of baseball cards. And, and it's a beautiful, heartbreaking, phenomenal, funny, everything kind of book. So I, I definitely do want to track down his thoughts on... Uh, Bad news bears in breaking training, but that one has been a challenge. But, uh, you know, onward down the list, and uh, I'm sure there will be some good ones. Also reading Jeff Perlman's biography of Bo Jackson right now. And Perlman's central thesis is that Bo is like the last folk hero because he did Ooh. all of these crazy things right before there was a YouTube and an ESPN. Uh, so there's, you know, no video of most of this. You believe it or you don't and you can't see it so that's a really cool take yeah and then that's a good starting place on that guy so those have both been good but they're very long books and much to go but on the other hand i had a fairly short book that i absolutely plowed through um it was one of those things where i was going to read it uh one way or the other you had bought it <laughs> on the e-reader and lo and behold i was at ollie's free plug thank you ollie's i'll take all your discount merchandise now uh and there the book was for like 4.99 and i thought aha i will buy it and now not only did i buy it but i hold it here in my hand and this is our shared read for yes. this time tyler merritt's i take my coffee black reflections on tupac musical theater faith and being black in america uh it was such a good book this was just a really interesting book and in the way that a lot of really interesting books kind of defy type so mm -hmm. does this one. I mean, there's there's it's autobiography slash memoir in here, but there's a lot of other things in here too. I mean, I think I'd I'd classify it as an essay collection. Um, all of it fits together. It's not a true autobiography by no. any means. It doesn't, no. or really, I guess. Yeah, it would leave you with more questions than yeah, you probably started it's not with. A true, so it's memoir esque. I mean, they're essays about himself, personal essays. Yes. Um, and they they do follow loosely the arc of his life yeah. the same chronological order um but mostly they are about <laughs> everything he says in his yeah. subtitle um so they're they're thoughts that he has about you know being human but also about how he specifically fits in the world and in seeing the way that he understands the world and interacts with it and expands the world by his presence we are also inspired to do the same with our lives. Yeah, he's just, he's had such a unique uh, voyage, and, and some of his stories are so funny and strange. <laughs> I mean, at one point, I read this part to our daughter one day. He's talking about, uh, he's going to this performing arts school, 
So he's driving around a classmate who's not old enough to drive yet. And he said, you know, my car, we're either going to be listening to show tunes or contemporary Christian music. <laughs> and he's this African-American guy who's telling this story. And I mean, there's, there's just so many like layers of, of odd uh, complexity within that. But uh, he's, he's such a big hearted dude. You can really just feel that through his stories uh, and through the way that he, he learns to see the world. And uh, yeah, there's, is, a, there's an element when you read a book about, as a white person, to read a book about the African-American experience or an African-American's experience, that it's just a learning exercise from the sheer fact that you look at the world through a different set of eyes, even if just in the time you read a book. And I very much was aware of that here. And I very much valued the chance to step one millimeter, you know, into his shoes and and get a tiny slice of his experience and his perspective. Very much so. Uh, You know, I I would hope that uh, for that time I was a better person. I at least was one who was laughing more than I was before (laughs) for most of it. So, you know, such a, a just awesome guy with with. So many stories, so willing to laugh at himself, to poke fun at his own foibles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I read the chapter out loud to you and the kids listening in about him talking about his mama. And it was just, there's so much about this book that is poignant and touching because he is a person who is very much fueled by love, honest about his mistakes, open about where he would have done things differently but really just full of love for other people and for himself. Yeah. I would also single out the chapter about starting a band oh gosh, with the, the only guy at the Christian college who apparently has an ongoing love for extended profanity and <laughs> a guy who he's still angry enough with that he won't name. He jokingly calls him Voldemort at one point. but <laughs> Yeah, refer, he who will not be named several times yeah, in there. Yeah, so... There's just so much to love about this book. And I think that if you read it, then you will also, like, you'll come away with all the things that you just said, but also um, a willingness to look at your own life and all of the possibilities because he just shows all the things a person can be unlimited by anything that yeah. society wants to put on us. He reminds me of some of my favorite friends through the course of my life because they were people who didn't ask why not. They just saw an opportunity and they did a thing, even if a thing was not the sort of thing that might be a natural fit or might not have been in their plan five minutes earlier. The fact that the opportunity was there was like, oh, well, could do this. Okay. And I'm such a cautious person by nature. I'm such a like to did I plan for this last week? I don't know. I might not. <laughs> you know, you could you could give me, you know, a, a upsize on my fast food order, and I'm like, I don't know. I was going to get the medium. <laughs> Should I really get the large? I'm not sure. We uh, are overthinkers. Yeah. So so it was it was good to tag along with Tyler and, and uh, maybe leave a little bit of that behind for a minute here and there. But anyway, I, I would uh, I would recommend this book to um, anybody. Uh, loosely of my generation, I'm 43, so that uh, uh, without pinning it in too hard, if you were in your 30s or 40s, I think that the time period part will be interesting to you or anybody who's interested in, again, getting a little more context about the African-American experience in America in the year of our Lord 2023. I also think this would be a really good book for a young person who is trying to figure out his or her life. 
Um, Might be why I've read some chapters of it to our daughter because, yeah, I thought there were some very yeah. good lessons. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So glad that we read this book and that we got to read it together. Yeah, what a what a fun guy, what a what a fun book, and uh, really enjoyed it. And now I get to uh, turn the tables on you with the next one. There's, yeah, because I have picked the last like eighty-seven books that we've read. On you this usually podcast. do because in general you read more interesting books than I do. But. Well, I just I read a br- broader variety of genres than you tend to do. Often. Yeah, but I that's do. not bad. You read good books too, and the one that we're going to read next is one that is yours, yes. and it is called The Cost of These Dreams by Wright Thompson. So I'm dipping back into sports. It, you are and you aren't, because it really is about the cost of your dreams, and, and whether you're Tiger Woods or Michael Jordan or somebody listening to or talking on a podcast, you have your individual dreams and you pay a price for them, and the people along with you pay that price sometimes unwittingly, and that really... It's a collection of essays, and they're brilliant. Some of them didn't necessarily resonate with me, but some of them are some of the best writing I've read, and I don't know how long. So I look forward to you finishing it and sharing your thoughts. Well, and that's where we will be next time, then. Um, Thank you for tuning in with us tonight. If you have any thoughts on any of the books that we've talked about, but especially I Take My Coffee Black or the upcoming The Cost of These Dreams, please get in touch with us and let us know what you think. Always happy to hear from you all, and we have pulled so many good books from your recommendations. You can find us by email at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com, on Instagram at paperbackreaderspod, and on X, formerly Twitter, <laughs> as P- at paperbackreaderspod. There you go. You got it. Well, thanks so much, and uh, whatever you're into as we move on in toward the holidays hope that you're celebrating a good book. Take care.